0: Well, we are in week four of the series called The Road, and we're looking at the foundations of a Christian life. So the first week, we looked at the Bible being your GPS, your roadmap, is how you know God and know what God wants for you and from you. Then we looked at prayer, and prayer is just simply having a conversation with God, communicating with God. Last week, we looked at serving, and James, in James chapter 2, he framed it so simply, but so directly that... That serving or your actions comes out of your faith. That when you turn and you trust Christ, that decision, that moment when Christ is dwelling and living within you, it, it has to come out. That your faith has to be lived out. And then today, we get into the fourth foundation, and as you can already tell, it's going to be about giving, generosity, tithing, offering. Whatever word you would like to pick, I'm fine with that. But here's what I know in the room today. For some of you, uh, you're going to celebrate this message. You're going to be like, right on, Chris. Way to give it. I'm glad you're doing this. For some of you, this is an exciting message, an ex- exciting moment. For some of you, y- you have the opposite reaction. Maybe right now you're sitting there going, oh boy, here it comes. Maybe if you're a guest with us today, you're thinking to yourself, out of all the weekends, I picked this weekend. Because this is what I, I do understand. For some of you, uh, you've attended churches. Uh, maybe you've heard a pastor. Maybe uh, you caught a televangelist. Maybe a, it's a parent, a mother-in-law. And uh, how they communicated giving, how they communicated tithing, how they communicate this whole idea of church and the, and money and God just left this horrendous taste in your mouth. And so this is what I ask from you today. If you could, wherever you find yourself with this subject matter, if you could just give me about 20-25 minutes and just wipe the slate clean. If we could just start all over. If you've never heard or never read or never approached the subject, if we could just wipe the slate clean and give me a little time because you see, God's very clear about the subject matter. It shouldn't uh, evoke all of this baggage and this emotion. It should be a, a, a moment of, of clarity and a moment to understand what God truly desires from us and for us. So we're gonna look at two stories, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. And both of these stories, I, I feel paint an incredible clear picture on what God wants us to know about this idea, this culture of generosity of giving but also what he wants from us. Now, I shared last week about this idea of serving. I, I said that if you haven't taken the step to, to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if that's just not where you're at in your spiritual journey, great. You can opt out. Last week and this week, you can opt out. That's great. Sit back, enjoy, breathe easier. Uh, maybe look around at people, see who's sweating, who's twitching. Have, that's great. Have this, enjoy this moment uh, uh, I think there's principles in last week and this week that you should hold on to, but uh, you can opt out. Now, if you've taken that step, if you are a Christ follower, I just want you to know this is not something you can opt out of. Not, not because I say that. No, this isn't a Chris Truthway opinion moment. This isn't a Chris Trothaway trying to leverage something moment. I just want you to know that this is what God's saying to you. This is what God wants from you. And These two stories, I think is going to paint that picture. The first one, let me set up for you. Jesus is at the very end of his kind of public ministry. It's this kind of three-ish year time span where, where uh, he was ministering. He's going around town to town. He was bringing together his disciples and he was ultimately getting ready to die. And so we find Jesus in the last few days before he's arrested, before he's put on trial, and before he's crucified. And his teaching had kind of picked up pace because he knew his time was running out. And also the other Jewish religious rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief of priests, all these other people were trying to, to trip Jesus up because they wanted Jesus out of the way. Jesus was a nuisance. Jesus was stirring things up. What he was teaching, how he was going about it, they didn't want him around. So they were trying to find ways to discredit Jesus. Even so, maybe you've heard this statement before, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. It was one of these moments where the, the, the spiritual uh, religious rulers were trying to even uh, turn Jesus to say something against Rome because if they could get him to say something against Rome, then the Roman officials would come in and arrest Jesus. So you could just imagine the intensity around his teaching and what was happening in all of these uh, kind of uh, relational circles. And at the very end of his public ministry, at the end of this day, Jesus finds one more opportunity to teach. And this is what he teaches. Listen to this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. He was in the temple in Jerusalem. So he's in this court area where women and children and men all would come together. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Could you imagine if we did that here at Renaissance? (laughs) Like, Like we lined, like the temple lined up big uh, offering bins and everyone would walk forward with their offerings and would put it in. It'd be awkward. I don't think anyone would come back next week. But in this culture, 2,000 years ago, this is how they did it. They literally would have, I think, around 13 of these golden bins with these horn things on it, and people would file in, would come in, and they'd put their offerings, and so Jesus sat back, and he watched this all happening, and he's just kind of taking in this moment. You see, you go back to Leviticus chapter 27, probably a book that most of you have never read read before, or you read the first about three verses and decided to move on. But uh, in the very last chapter, listen to this, a tithe of everything, a tithe meaning a tenth. That's all the word tithe means, a tenth of everything. You see the book of Leviticus is this book of laws that God kind of set up to help govern and guide his people. And so a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That phrase holy to the Lord literally means to be set apart to God to be consecrated to God, dedicated to God. And so Jesus is watching in the temple, all these people coming in, and they were fulfilling the law given, giving a tenth, a tithe to God, set apart to God. It was their act of worship. So he's watching this happen, and this is what he sees. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And you think about the words rich and poor. Now, probably in this room today, I can make a couple assumptions. One is probably none of you would consider yourselves poor. I'm not saying there's not uh, financial stress and financial pressures in your world. But when you think about this world you probably wouldn't consider yourself poor. There's other people, starving, without food, without clothes, without uh, electricity, without plumbing, poor. You probably wouldn't consider yourself poor. But I also have to think that in this room today that probably most of you wouldn't consider yourselves rich either. Uh, Let me frame it this way. Maybe you actually have wealth. Uh, You have a great job, you've done very well, financially your net worth you're doing you're doing well but you would look at someone else saying hey i have a nice house but that person that person down the road around the turn they're rich i'm not that rich and we'd probably even if you put your uh, yourself in the category of rich you'd still think to yourself no but that person really is rich if i had that much money if i made that amount if i had that type of house i would be rich i'm well off but i'm not rich let me level the playing floor if you if you could allow me to do this today because i think every one of us in this room is rich and let me prove it to you. you want me to prove it to you here let me prove it to you you ready if you woke up today walked into your closet sat there for a moment and had to actually consider what shirt or what pair of pants to wear guess what you're rich if you actually had to take a moment and go, oh, I'm not sure if I all wear the, this pair of shoes or this pair of shoes, which one matches my outfit better? You're rich. If you've ever walked to your refrigerator, opened up your refrigerator door, sat there for a moment, and looked into your refrigerator, but it was kind of difficult to look into it because there's so much food, you couldn't see all the food, but you thought to yourself, as you close the door, there's nothing to eat. So then you got in your car, backed out of your driveway, drove to a restaurant where you sat down, Open up a menu, a server came to your table, you told them exactly what you wanted to eat to what temperature you wanted to cook and what they couldn't use ingredients-wise because you're allergic to them. Then you sat, sipped a drink, waited for your food to come to your table and you didn't have to wash a dish. You're rich. If, for some reason, one of your children, God love them, decided to erase one of your favorite shows on your DVR, which frustrated you so you got off, up off the couch marched over to where your laptop was grabbed your laptop went back to the couch opened up your laptop typed in www.hulu.com where you brought up your favorite show where you could watch it online but now you're even more frustrated because watching the show on hulu you still have limited commercial interruptions you're rich If you purchase a new phone, not because your old one doesn't work, but because a newer version is out, you're rich. I could keep going. Let's just frame this. There's always someone richer. But in this room today, if you have a little gadget on your wall that regulates hot and cold in your house, you're rich. If you have a toilet that works you're rich if you have water that comes from a shower ahead that you can control the temperature so jesus is watching this and rich people come in and they're giving their ties but this poor who widow you see in that culture women couldn't work Women didn't have an economic engine to provide for themselves. And so somewhere along the way, she lost her husband. And so she had nothing. She was barely surviving. And this poor widow who walks into this temple court, as rich people filed by, she walked in. She put in two small copper coins. See, those small copper coins would kind of be equated to our pennies today. Literally, um, Um, they were 164th of a denarius. A denarius was uh, equated to a day's wage back then. And she put that in. Jesus calls his disciples to him. Listen to how he frames this moment. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Than all the others. You see, for Jesus, the value of the gift isn't the amount given, but the cost to the giver. You see, we, so many times when we get into church and money and God, it's always focused on percentage and this word tithe and amount and how much should I give or shouldn't I give and what should I do and all around that. And you know what Jesus frames in this moment, right at the close of his ministry, he frames it saying, no, 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 no. It's not It's not about the amount. It's about the cost to the giver. You see, Jesus was getting right back into the heart. He said, this is a heart issue. Giving generosity is a heart issue. Over 25% of all Jesus's parables had to do with stewardship, giving, generosity, what you do with what you're given. And you know what? It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart because God's after your heart. So we move into our second story. And you see, well, the thing I love about the second story, it was before the Old Testament law. Because I've heard people say, well, uh, uh, do we have to give 10%? Because you know, that was Old Testament. We're now living in the New Testament times. Do we still have to follow the specifics of the Old Testament law? What about the tithe word? What about 10%? See, let's go all the way back before the the, the Old Testament law was even written. This is before Moses and the Ten Commandments. This is before Abraham. This is Genesis chapter 4. You see, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 was all about uh, God creating the world, creating Adam and Eve, sin entering the world because of their choices. And then we get into Genesis chapter 4. You see, Adam and Eve— they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And listen to what happens. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. It goes on. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and, and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Since Cain was very angry in this Face was downcast. Think about this moment. You have these two brothers, these siblings. Cain just brought some. Not the best, not the ripest, not the juiciest, just some. Abel brought the fat portions of the firstborn, the prized possessions. God had favor on Abel. Not on Cain. Why? They both gave? I'm sure there was still a sacrifice in both of their offerings to God. You see, you get back into the heart. Why did Abel give the best and Cain not? Why did Abel give the fat portions, but Cain decided, well, these grapes weren't as ripe, they weren't as juicy. They weren't the best. I didn't have this bumper crop. I'm just going to give that to God. You see, we see in this moment, this tension around giving God, whatever that might have been. They were talking about cattle and, 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 and grains and other crops. We talk about our assets, our stocks, our money. But from the very beginning of time, guess what, there's been this tension around this. And I hope you know this. God doesn't need our stuff. I hope you get this. It's not like God like God's depending on us giving him things. He's God. You know what God wants? He wants our dependence on him. I think in that moment God looked at Abel and said, "You gave me your best." Meaning that Abel kept back some that weren't his best. Maybe he had a limp Maybe it weren't as fat. And when we give to God, we're saying to God, God, we're going to give you our first, our best. And we're going to trust you that you're going to make up for the difference. God, when we give you our best, we're going to trust that that gap that's formed, you're going to fill in. When we give to God, it's forcing us, putting our faith into action, realizing that we need to trust God and not trust our possessions. We need to trust God, not our net worth. We need to trust God, not our savings. We need to trust God. Doesn't mean we don't save. Doesn't mean that we don't look to the future. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in that gap, we're putting our security in God. But then there's this amazing moment between God and Cain. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? We'll come back to that. He goes on, verse seven. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know, in this moment, in this tension, Cain is furious. He's furious with his brother, going, how, 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 how could you do this to me? He's probably furious with God saying, God, why isn't this good enough? And God's like, hey, Cain, you're missing the point. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. But in this moment, God says to Cain, Cain, hey, you, you can change this. Just give me your best. Allow me to fill in the gap. Hey, Cain, trust me with your best. Let me fill in the gap. Hey, Cain, put your security in me. Not yourself. Not yourself. Not your stuff in me. Allow me to do the rest. And God says, Hey, if you change it around, Cain, won't you be accepted? I mean, hey, Cain, this is a simple thing to change. Simple thing. If you know the rest of the story. Cain walked out to a field with his brother and he killed his brother. See, what God knew in that moment was if Cain was willing, was willing to trust God in the gap, was willing to come to, to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to trust you. It changed Cain's heart. It's what this is all about. It's what it's all about. Right now, I want to take a moment And this is going to feel like this weird left turn, maybe for some of you. And maybe you might wonder to yourself, well, Chris, so you're talking about giving all about renaissance in the church and we need your money. And it's not what it's about. What I want to do in this moment is I want to celebrate the culture of generosity that is erupting from within this place because there's so much to celebrate. Ultimately, I hope what you you hear from me is this. God wants your heart. And for him to fully have your heart, you know what he needs from you? You giving. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But there's so much to celebrate here. On January 18th, to be exact, For months before January 18th, a group of us, our stewardship team, we met together talking about the generosity culture within Renaissance Church. Because if you're not aware, Renaissance was started by a small group of people that have given generously for years. And we just recognize as a church that guess what? That we as a church need to own the financial foundation of this church together. Can't rest on a few, we must all own it. But more than that, what we realize as a leadership team, as a stewardship team, as a board, what we realize is this, is we want people growing in, in their faith. We want people growing as they walk with Christ. And guess what? Generosity, is a key to the heart. It's throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis four on. And so we wanted people to experience God growing in them and through them, and generosity is one of those key ways to do that. So on January 18th, we started talking about giving at Renaissance. It was the first time ever that's happened, and for some of you, uh, that weekend, you're like, oh, this, this is different. This is a change. For some of you, you liked it. For others of you, it made you uncomfortable. For some of you, uh, you You came after that. And this is all you've known is we have this quick 30-second moment in our service. It's an act of worship. We talk about it's not what what we want from you. It's what God wants for you. And we mean that. It's truly what God wants for you. And so we started talking about giving. And uh, a few weeks ago, we sent out what we call an impact report. If you give a dollar or more to Renaissance, you got this as an email. And it's just our way to continue to communicate What's going on in the, in, in the area of generosity here at Renaissance Church? And so I want to share this with you. Uh, our fiscal year, September through August, because that's kind of our ministry season, our ministry rhythm. And so we're right here in fiscal year uh, 2013. And what you'll see on this chart is you'll see the white bar and then this kind of beige brownish bar. The white bar represents uh, what we call seed money. It's this very small group of people that have given generously for years and years, ever since the beginning of this church. And what we knew uh, as a stewardship team, as a board, as we came in, what we knew is that uh, we needed to develop a plan for Renaissance as a whole to handle the financial condition of the church. It can't remain on the few. It must remain on all of our shoulders. And so we developed a five-year plan. Over five years, we're going to reduce the seed money by $400,000 a year. And you can do quick math to understand when I, when I talk about the generosity of a few. And so uh, we came into this, this uh, fiscal year uh, reducing uh, uh, the seed money by $400,000. And we took two approaches. One, uh, which is just simple budget 101 here. We decreased spending. How's that for a thought? We de- decreased spending by $170,000. It was 7%. And we started making cuts. And not only have we done that, uh, I asked our staff to only spend right now 10% of their ministry budget allotment. That's what they've been spending. I think we're somewhere right, right over 10%, somewhere around 11%. Have you noticed a change? No. So we're reducing spending. We're being very wise with every dollar we spend, but here's what else has happened. We need to close that gap. And so, uh, Uh, I want to celebrate with all of you today. Right now, year to date, as we compare fiscal years, right now, year to date, look at this this next slide, our giving is up 35%. (sighs) Yeah, please. And that number is just a small picture of the story that's going on. A few weeks ago, We walked into our Tuesday staff meeting, and uh, Michael Murphy, who's our executive pastor, he said to me, he goes, man, every Tuesday we pray as a staff. We celebrate stories, and we pray. It's a highlight of my week. He goes, let's just start praying for the generosity culture of this church. I'm like, there's a novel idea. And, um, And so we prayed, and this is what happened. You can't make these things up. And it shouldn't be shocking, but we prayed as a staff. Since then, as we're praying just about what's going on financially, and there's so much to celebrate. Uh, We had one individual step up and he just said, here's a large uh, gift um, just to help uh, kind of this adult room environment. He goes, I know there's needs. Here you go. Do whatever you want with it. We had another uh, individual step up and said, you know, I want to help purchase some more lights and some more equipment. And so this is above uh, their giving regularly to the church budget. This is above and beyond. We had another couple who so loves what's going on in their children's ministry, and literally their gift above their regular giving, above, is underwriting our children's ministry, uh, uh, ministry budget for this year. I could keep going. Hurricane Sandy, we raised uh, right around $100,000, $40,000 from within Renaissance, the rest of it from people around the country. We had one church in Texas that heard about what Renaissance was doing. We were getting money and resources into hands, into people's hands on the ground that could immediately impact. And on one weekend, they raised $30,000. And I got a call from the the senior pastor. He goes, I can't believe what what God just did this weekend, $30,000. But I think about this church giving uh, right around $40,000 to help people in need. This is above and beyond this 35%. Above and beyond. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. They're giving so sacrificially to this place. Thank you for stepping up. What I want to challenge all of you is this. I'm going to ask you specifically, pray, seek God, invite God in to this process with you. And when you do, God's going to give you a percentage. He's going to. And, and it might hurt. You might go, ooh, God, can we lower that a few points? You might have that reaction kind of like Cain. I've been there before. I've had that moment like Cain going, nope, God, I don't want to. But I've seen God's blessing when I've responded more like Abel, especially over the last 10 years. I just ask you to invite God in and ask him. Specifically, God. Then commit. Commit. And then give. Be a part of the generosity story of this church. A few months ago, I was on this stage. We had a vision night. And uh, there's moments. There's moments in my life that, that have just been etched into the memory and the fab- fabric of who I am. And a few months ago at this vision night, it was one of those moments that will be forever etched into kind of the fabric, the DNA of who I am. I was sitting here on the stage on a stool, and Rob King, chairman of our board, and uh, one of the founding families of Renaissance, he shared something. And uh, it was actually the first night we actually had video cameras set up. And so if the video quality is a little poor, they were just trying to figure out this new equipment. But uh, we were able to capture what he shared in this just Holy Spirit driven moment. And what I want to do is just show about three minutes of what he shared uh, that night with you.
1: Take a look. One of my goals in life is to die penniless. It's to die penniless. And as many of you know, some of you knew me from grade school, high school, I was an avowed atheist, I had no respect for religion, I had no respect for Christianity. Um, Part of the reason why I didn't was it was poor quality, it was presented poor quality, Um, it wasn't relevant, Um, I didn't think it had intellectual merit, Um, and uh, God changed my heart miraculously uh, when I was in college. And. So over time, as Nancy and I have lived here in this area, we we felt this calling from God to say, you know what, there are a lot of me living around here who feel the same way about God and Jesus Christ for the wrong reasons. And we're gonna do everything we can to actually get rid of all that baggage and present Christ in a very culturally relevant, very engaging, very high intellectual integrity way. So that people are attracted to it, which is what they ought to be, rather than turned away from it. And you know, I, I think about uh, what what do we do with our financial resources, right? Um, what is the greatest need that anybody has here? There are lots of real needs. Staten Island, the material needs there: food, shelter, clothing, water, life. Um, the deepest need that all of us have, including our friends and neighbors including Wall Street partners, including you name it, is to be reconciled to their God, right? And uh, what a crime it would be if I didn't do everything I can to help that out. And so what am I going to do with my savings? What's it going to do after I die? Why don't I invest it in helping people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Um, I, I don't know if you guys have all seen the movie Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, if you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. It's a, it's a tough movie, but it's a powerful movie. And I think about an analogy there. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, for those who haven't seen it, Oskar Schindler was a German industrialist who was a war profiteer at the beginning of World War II, made a, a boatload of money, and somehow his heart changed to see the plight of the Jews. Uh, who were working in factories that helped him make all the money. And he basically uh, spent all his fortune uh, hiring 1,100 Jews to work in a munitions plant that he ran that made faulty ammunition so that it wouldn't work. And so he had to go out in the black market and buy shells and ammo that other factories were working to pass them off so he wouldn't be shut down. And right at the end of the war, he basically was broke. Because he had spent all his money, but he had done it to save 1,100 Jews and their families. And if you've seen the movie, at the end of the movie, there's this dramatic scene right when the war is over, and he has to run because he's now a war criminal because no one knows you know, what he did. He's viewed as a German war profiteer. And he sort of, he's getting in his car to leave, and he's distraught because he said, why do I still have this car? This car could have bought me 10 more lives. Right? If I had sold this car, there would have been Instead of 1,100, there would have been 1,110, and those 10 lives would have been real, live people. And I challenge you to think about your friends and neighbors the same way. These are people who desperately need to be reconciled to their God, even though they may not know it or feel it today. And we want Renaissance to be that place where they're attracted to it and engaged by it, and God can work in their hearts. So I, I view this, it feels like a challenge It's an enormous opportunity to actually minister the way God wants us to be ministered.
0: So I watched that video several times this week. I literally had this thought that popped in my mind. Man, Chris, you could walk up on stage, play the video, and three minutes be done and saying, enough said, and you could all have 30 minutes left of your morning. That's the heart. That's the heart of renaissance. That's the heart that started this church. That's the culture of generosity that's infused this place. I just want to invite you in to partner with us at that level. But more than partnering with us at that level, God wants to do such an amazing work on your heart. And we all get the power of our possessions, the power of our stuff. God wants us to trust him in the gap. I got in a taxi cab Wednesday in the city. And uh, I've been in a taxi before, but it's usually with other people, especially people that live on the East Coast. And so I got in with a guy, and I was paying for the taxi cab fare. And I just quickly looked at him and said, hey, what's, what's, what's the going tip for a taxi cab driver? You know, I'm like, I have no reference point. And he goes, ah, 20%. I'm like, wow, that's good. Okay, so, so I gave the taxi cab drivers probably more than that because it's like I didn't have enough singles. so It was like, uh, it's, uh, I'll just give him 10 bucks and that's good, and we'll go. And... Uh, Then I read this report Thursday that the average American, Christian, Christ follower gives God 2.4%. Again, if you think this whole message is about percentage, you've missed the whole point. But yet, you sit there and you have that honest moment with yourself. This is a holy God. that has given you so much and he expects so little back. It's a holy God that wants so much for you and he understands the battle being waged for your heart. And that's what he wants. So I just invite you, wherever you find yourself, take a step in with us. Watch how God leverages what he's given you to impact so many people's lives, but also, at the same time, watch what happens. Watch what happens within your heart. Go pray. Have a conversation with God about this. Two, commit to him. Commit to him a percentage. Remember, it's not about the amount. It's the cost to the giver. And the gift. After service today, uh, Michael Murphy, our executive pastor, and Aaron Pierce, our executive director of operations, they'll be in the, in the uh, lobby at our Next Step booth. If you have any questions about how to give, we've made it real easy. You can go online, set it up that way. Uh, you can talk with them. If you have questions just about our financial practices and, and uh, all the details around that, anything about the charts, they're there, and they will answer any questions that you might have. The last thing I'm going to say, for those of you who are giving generously to this place, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And Lord, I just pray that the words were received. Lord, I pray that uh, even with this subject, because I know for some people, this this is a convoluted, complicated, emotionally charged subject. And so Lord, I just pray that my words were clear, but they were received with love, that, um, Lord, even though my words were direct, I pray that people will understand the heart behind them because it's your heart behind them. Lord, I'm thankful for what you're doing here and the culture of generosity that's erupting from within this place. Lives are being changed. And I'm just thankful to be a part of it. God bless, and we love you. In your name and pray, amen. Have an incredible week.